and welcome to another episode of Don't Fuck With The Original. I'm your host, Casper. And I am your other host, Becky Grimlin. Here to bring you all things spooky on Wednesdays, even though it's Thursday, but that's fine. Because Thursdays can be spooky too, because... They are still for podcasts. Every day is for podcasts. Every day. But we couldn't do a podcast every day because it would just... it would It's just not as... Words... <laughs> words something um it wouldn't be fun honestly it wouldn't well it gives us something to look forward to every week and it gives you guys something to look forward to every week i guess you look forward to it i hope you look forward to it we hope you do um but first of all happy women in horror month and happy black history month both amazing amazing (laughs) both amazing months Both amazing length of the book. Now we have lists. We were just yeah. talking about my nephew having a lisp. He, it's getting, he's growing out of it, but he called me thicken. They call me chicken, and it came out thicken. That's pretty adorable, though. Thicken? Aren't we supposed to go to bed? See, that's pretty adorable, though. That's what, this is exactly it's how we sounded. It's pretty adorable. They sounded like, it's pretty great. See, as kids, it's adorable. Older, you're like the cable guy. You're the cable guy. Becky, aren't we supposed to go to bed? Yeah, see, no. <laughs> She's looking at me like, bitch, the fuck? You're the cable guy. Now, if anybody gets that reference, that is great. Have you ever seen that movie? No. What movie? The Cable Guy. No. It's basically Jim Carrey in a horror movie. Oh. I'm intrigued. A lot of people, okay, I'm going to have a few people out there that are going to be like, Cable Guy wasn't a horror movie. It was a horror movie. It was a horror movie. It was a psychological, dark comedy. Because obviously it was funny. Parts of it were funny because it had Jim Carrey in it. But, okay, so essentially Jim Carrey plays this cable guy, literal cable guy, that becomes obsessed with Matthew Broderick's character. Basically stalks him, for lack of a better word. And uh, his character has a lisp. Really bad one. And (laughs) Matthew Broderick's character gives him, like, back when books on tape were a thing gave him like books on this book on tape on how to get rid of his lisp and there's like this whole scene around it anybody that's ever seen this movie there's gonna be people like ah i remember this like everybody's gonna when did it come out oh 90s yeah Uh, honey honestly i don't even know if you were born (laughs) it's what it's one of those where it's like i'm dating myself you're like I was an infant. Honestly, or maybe I just not. came out to have like, a good time, it was... <laughs> and I just feel so attacked right now. Hello, darkness, my old friend. But I mean, like, the cast, <laughs> now looking back, the cast of that movie was insane. Like, Matthew Broderick is in it. Um, uh, uh, Leslie Mann plays, I love Leslie his, Mann. plays his girlfriend. Uh, Jim Carrey's in it. Uh, fucking Jack Black's in it. And you know it's old because it's skinny Jack Black. So it's... <laughs> I don't even remember him skinny. Yeah, it was like... He I'm so like, sorry. He, I just burped and that was like... Wait, though, he kind of had that like Jonah Hill thing before Jonah Hill. You know what I mean? He was Jonah Hill before Jonah Hill. Yeah, like big, thin, big, thin, big, thin. Well, he had like, to keep losing did... weight and gaining weight for movie roles. Well, if you remember, like, School of Rock, yeah. he was thinner. That's, yeah. Yeah, so, okay. like, 
I've I've gone through like progressions of like Jack Black movies and you can date them by like what weight was he at this time? <laughs> Speaking of Jack Black, I just heard a podcast recently with Jason Biggs and totally forgot about him and Jack Black being in Saving Silverman together and that movie was incredible. I forgot about Jason Biggs. <laughs> um this podcast was amazing. Jason Biggs is awesome. How everything in my life always we comes just back start to talking American about Pie? Jason Everything in my life always comes back to American Pie somehow. And I don't... This one time at Bandcamp... If someone says this one time at Bandcamp and you don't reference American Pie, then what? (laughs) Seriously, though, this was a really great podcast. And Jason Biggs is amazing. And I wish he would do more conventions because I would love to meet him because he is such a down-to-earth guy. I loved him in Orange is the New Black. He cracked me up. And listening to just him for two hours was like... I don't want this interview to end. Like, this is amazing. You're like, can I like, he's awesome. Like, can we just keep talking? You're like, no, 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 This has nothing to do with the podcast, guys. Anyway, I know How you love. Doesn't every podcast start off this way? I know way? you love when we do this, when you're like, they're like, okay, so I'm they went from this kid. to this to seven degrees of American pie, because somehow it always comes always. back to American It's usually the music. That's it. It's yeah. that one song. Um, with uh found went around the world and found that only stupid people are breeding (laughs) yeah it always comes back around well and it was just cool like hearing him talk about like other actors in the 90s and like other movies back then and then it got me remembering movies in the 90s and i was like oh god and we've met two three people from american pie yeah we how could say I held, four, but I don't count Tara Reed. And how I held it together with Shannon Elizabeth, I, that exactly, because the first movie I ever saw her in, she was naked, and it was amazing and wonderful, and I'm like, well, you're, 13 standing right, too. you're standing right in front of me, and, and I was like, the second pair of tits I ever saw were yours. Yeah. Sorry, Kate Winslet just to it, but. Wanted to say. You have nice tits. Mina Suvari is so nice. Oh my god! And I just saw her. She just did Brittany Furline. Shout out to Brittany Furline. Worst first. Shine out! Shine out! Shine out! Shine out to Brittany Furline and Mina Suvari. Now that you would ever listen to this, I love her so much. Um, if you don't know who Brittany Furline is, Vine. That's all I'm gonna say. Vine. And she has a podcast now called Worst First, and it's amazing. And she had Mina Suvari on there, and I was just like. Mina Suvari is really, She's really sweet. She's tiny and sweet and nice and tiny. And, and tiny. And nice. And, and tiny. tiny. <laughs> She's so tiny. She can't beat Daniel Harris, Oh, my though. God. Daniel Harris is the smallest person I've ever met. Christina Ricci, you said, was really tiny. Catherine Isabel was really tiny. Well, I mean, like, Catherine Isabel's tallish. She's tall, but she's thin. But, but like, Christina Ricci and I need Mina Suvari, Christina Ricci, and Daniel Harris in a room. And we're going to be like, okay. (laughs) Y'all are adorable. Line up. (laughs) You're, like, super fucking adorable. This is an adorable 90s stars lineup. (laughs) I almost said adorable 90s horror. Well, Mina Suvari really was a horror. Yeah, not really, no. Because I'm trying to go back in my Rolodex, like, was Mina Suvari in a well, Daniel Harris and Christina Ricci both grew up in it, so... Basically, yes. And then yep. Mina Savara was just American Pie, and, <laughs> like, yeah, in my mind. I'm just like American Pie. Tara yeah. Reid is not nice. I, I... Ew. Tara Reid is ew. <laughs> H's are ew. <laughs> That's what 
think. <laughs> and then uh, Thomas Ian, is that his name? Thomas Ian Nichols? I fuck that up every time. Is that his yes. name? Yeah. He photobombed us. It's, that it was, was amazing. Funny. That was incredible. Shout out to Kim. And the fact that like him and, well, and Jason Biggs said they're still friends. Like, I love how he said a lot of the people that he's still, awesome. like, worked with are friends. And him and Mina Suvari, oh my god, he referenced Loser. That was one of my favorite fucking movies of the 90s, and literally nobody knows nothing about it because it came out, like, right before American Wedding, and it, like, just got lost. Yeah. And I hate that it did because it was so fucking good. That was a good movie. And Jason Biggs was adorable in it. And Mina Suvari's character was adorable in it. And people literally go, what? And I'm like, nothing. <laughs> Ran around the world and found them. <laughs> exactly. It's perfectly natural. Yeah. Perfectly natural. Also, American Pie is what introduced me to Natasha Leone, which I am in love with her now. Uh, so, can we talk about her? Still to this day, can't understand the fact that she's not actually gay. She just doesn't know it. I'm so confused. She just hasn't by met that. me yet. No, I'm just kidding. I'm gonna be that guy. Um, she's really close guy. to Clea Duvall. So if she hasn't realized she's gay by now, she's just not. <laughs> Those two, I can't. They're the they're adorable. Like friendship goals, right there, dude. We can't. <laughs> Literally, they would be in front of me, and I would just go no, and then just I would be like, like <laughs> so awkward. But I'm a cheerleader. <laughs> <laughs> Like, no, seriously, if you're one of your best friends is Clea Duvall and you, you're not gay, I, I, I would like, not even gay. By, like, not even by curious, like, didn't even give it a thought. Have you seen like, Clea Duvall? Like... <laughs> okay. I'm sorry um, to control. I apologize. Yeah, I know. I'm... Thoughts. Okay, so, Like, watching guys... the Lizzie Borden Chronicles and you didn't tell me who was in it. I just spit on you. It's fine. I'm drilling too. And you didn't tell me who was in it. And then I'm watching it and fucking Clea Duvall comes out as Emma. And I'm like, motherfucker. <laughs> I was like, Clea Duvall plays Emma? Yeah. The f- I'm like, sandwich me in between them, yes. please. Yes. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Okay. I thought you going to gay tangent. <laughs> <laughs> Let me calm down my gay. Okay, so. My raging gay. After we just talked about American Pie for 10 minutes. Okay, guys. (laughs) So. So. Getting um, down to the nitty gritty of the good shit. This, uh, again, really quickly, I just want to touch on this. Um, Thank you for all the well wishes, everybody out there. I am fine. I'm doing well. Um, I just recently had a a very tragic death in my family and uh, just still kind of reeling through that and going through the motions. So my head... Just wasn't in it on top of so many other things yesterday. So thank you again, guys, for all of that. And I appreciate it. All the love. Um, Send Becky all your love. Tonight is awesome. This is an incredible documentary and subject matter that is so important to me on a very deeply personal level. And I'm so glad Casper and I could do a podcast episode about this um, because we touched a little bit on it uh, last year when we did our Women of Horror episode in February um, as far as Black history. But this one is really going to delve more into Black history. And we're going to center a lot of it around a uh, great, like I said, incredible documentary called 
Horror Noir, A History of Black Horror. Um, and it was directed by Xavier Neal Bergen. Um, it came out last year and it has only currently been streaming on Shudder. Um, it's I'm an hoping exclusive. It, yeah, it's a Shudder exclusive. Uh-huh. Um, I'm hoping at some point it gets released on, on you know, Blu-ray or something because I've told my dad about it and uh, he is real. he's really, 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 really uh, wanting to see it. And it's about an hour and a half long and it's really great to follow. And it essentially goes through um, a literal history from like early 1920s all the way up until last year, like 2018, 2019 of the way black people have been represented Mm -hmm. specifically in the horror genre of film. Um, and it's just a great, it's not only a really great lesson in horror, but it's just a really great black history lesson all the way around. Um, it opened me up to movies that I haven't seen, movies that I've seen and now look at completely differently. Um, and also movies that like, I feel to this day play such an important role in black history. Like, like I said, this even if you're not a horror fan, everybody needs to see this. Like, this is just a real overall lesson in black history. You know altogether. what really, when it, when it, I can't talk, I'm sorry. Words. <laughs> when it first started, and in the first five minutes, one of the ladies say, black history is black horror. You know, that, that hit me on a level that, I'm, I'm a very, 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 solid ally for um black rights and um equality for everybody not just black people all races people are people you're a human you're a human and but specifically with black people it's just it's always touched my soul more because it's like you know the history that you've learned in school and all that stuff I'm one of those people that sometimes I like to research outside of school and, um, as everyone should, I went and visited the underground railroad, um, uh, it was, it's a museum yeah. technically. Um, when I was in school, I cried, honestly, I probably cried through the whole thing. And then it was during a time where they had actually brought in pictures of things that had happened in the past and you had to be of a certain age to see these pictures because they were very graphic Um, and ever since that day, not that I wasn't before, but ever since that day, something inside of me has just been like, you need to fight for these people and you need to show that these people are just people too. So being, you know, even that young, I think it was like maybe 16 or 17 at the time when it happened. And ever since then, I'm like, if I have a platform, especially with this podcast, I want to use this platform. I want to speak up and speak out like... You know, there was a time, I think it was last year, there was a bunch of conventions that were asking for people from the craft, and they all excluded Rachel True. And she literally came out and she said, if you asked me to come, I would go. And I I spoke up and said something about it, too. I was like, this is not fair. And especially when E came out with this whole craft reunion, I'm sorry, not reunion, the new craft that's coming out, they were like in the stars of the original craft and mentioned everyone but Rachel True. And I'm like, um, she's one of the four. Why wouldn't you include her in it? And I'm like throwing it at people. I'm like, this is fucking wrong. Like she's one of them. I'm sorry, I get passionate. <laughs> but um, 
I'm just, if I can, if I can have a voice and if I can speak up and speak out for these people, I'm going to do it because they're people. We're all humans. We all deserve to be treated like humans, regardless of race, religion, gender, sexuality, whatever it is. If you're a person, you're a person. So not to get off on that tangent, but but it it needs (laughs) to be said because you need to, you know, I look back at school and the only time you were ever, any time that, whether schools need to do it or not, the only time you ever learned about Black people in history was during Black History Month, which I felt like was very unfair, and it's still very unfair. And it's the shortest, let's not even get started with the fact that it's the shortest month out of the fucking year. Let's not even go there. But Can we have a Black History year? And the fact that, just the fact that even today <laughs> we still have to have a month, like they're anyway but and then when you are taught about black history during black history month you're only taught about certain key figures which not to discount what they've done and contributed to black history but there have been so many more than rosa parks and martin luther king and malcolm x and the list goes on and on and on and on and on you know to the point that i remember that it wasn't until high school that i took a African-American studies class where I got to learn about other black people in history that I didn't, that I learned way outside of any other classes during black history month, unless it was black history month rather. And that I didn't learn myself from doing my own research, you know, and now kids are, they have the internet and there's so much more to learn and, and so much more out there than there ever was. Um, But the reason why Black Lives Matter is a thing, or became a thing, rather, is the fact that we have to have discussions like this. That there have to be documentaries like this made, that there have to be discussions like this happening to say Black Lives Matter. So, and we are not even going to... If you're, if you've been listening to this long enough and you're one of these and you're all of a sudden, well, all lives matter type of people, I suggest you turn this off right now because we're not your audience because I'm not even going to go into that. She just explained why. I explained what Black Lives Matter is. Why it's Black Lives Matter. I just matter. did. So there And of go. course, yes, all lives matter. That's, it's not discounting that all lives matter, no. but we are focusing no. No. on black lives. Especially the during fact the time it came to, out. And the fact that we have to is why they matter. Exactly. Case in point. Just like she said, the reason we had to ma- they had to make a documentary, the reason there's a Black History Month, the reason this, the reason that. When that stops being reasons for it, that'll yeah, be great. And, uh, yeah. But until then. And I love how certain... Oh, I'm not, I can't go on that tangent. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, if we go on that one, then we're going to be here for a long fucking time. <laughs> this whole thing's just going to uh, be us ranting. <laughs> So yeah, everybody needs to watch this, bottom line. This is so important to everyone in the horror community, Black people in the horror community, and just Black history altogether. Um, The way it starts out with mentioning Black history as Black horror specifically talks about in what most people would call the first Black horror movie was Birth of a Nation. Um, This movie came out in 1915. Uh, That's a long time ago. Very racist. (laughs) Uh, I just, uh, you know, basically what the movie was about is the, I'll read a quick synopsis. 
essentially it was where the South rose up over the North, kind of flipped the story and more so centralized the character, a character arc around a slave that uh, was after white women and whatnot. And just, you know, the movie came out in 1913, enough said there uh there obviously were no black actors in the movie they were white actors in blackface uh so and the movie was and it very you know very much portrayed the Ku Klux Klan uh the entire movie was centered around the Ku Klux Klan and the argument are surrounding the Ku the Ku Klux Klan being the um the birth of this nation being the almighty power of this nation and, and, and portraying blacks as monsters and rapists and yada, yada, yada. And that trope that was very popular then obviously for various reasons when it shouldn't have been, but it was, you know, um, what was really, really horrible was the fact that Woodrow Wilson allowed this movie to be shown in the white house. And at the time called it one of the greatest movies ever made. I'm paraphrasing, but essentially in his eyes, but if anybody knows the history of Woodrow Wilson, if we think Do- if we think Donald Trump is racist, which he is, if we think Donald Trump is racist, <laughs> I mean, that would not think. I mean, that's a that's a very solid. I know fact. I just pissed off a lot of people, but anyway, this this, um, this honestly, this podcast this is going to piss off a lot of people. It's going to piss. Trigger warning. It's going to pit off. <laughs> Trigger warning. This podcast is going to piss off a lot of people, but you know, if you don't like it, turn it off now and make your own. I've said that many times. Um, this is this is shit that needs to be talked about, Woodrow and it makes Wilson people uncomfortable. Was, so Woodrow Wilson was racist. What? He was probably one of the most. It, yeah, he what? probably would go down in history as probably one of the, the most racist president we ever had. So um, yeah, this this entire movie just set the stone for an early representation of blacks in just not only cinema but in horror cinema. Um, there was a movie that came out not long after that, that was called, uh, Ngagi, which (laughs) if you look, so Ngagi was spelled I-N-G-A-G-I, which basically is nigga with an extra I in it. They like, didn't even try to hide how racist that name was. And, um... What followed from Ngagi, so what Ngagi essentially was, was a movie that came out in 1930 that, again, was extremely racist. And it was basically depicted Black women, again, white people in blackface, Black women uh, interbreeding with gorillas. Yeah. Because oh, wasn't that movie made? I thought it was called Tarzan. Black people do, because <laughs> that's what black people do, <laughs> right? It's like, do you have a hobby you need to tell me about? What the fuck? Why are you banging monkeys though? So, um, yeah, so that movie's awful. Um, but it's it's crazy how like this, you know. Obviously, I didn't know anything about this movie, and I don't even think you know. There's there's obviously and shouldn't be. Um, any copies of this movie around, but it's, it's, it's interesting how, it's interesting how this movie was called, uh, something that was considered pre-code Hollywood. And it was basically prior to 
1934, there was really like, you could just make a movie about fucking anything. There was like really no, basically like we have the Motion Picture Association of America now. We have the MPAA that controls like, you make a movie, it's got to go through the MPAA first on whether or not this movie is going to go mainstream because it's like, okay, you can't have this, that, and third and whatever in it. There's rules now. Obviously, you can't just put it out there. And then if there are certain things in there that are deemed questionable, then it has a rating system. Well, this was way before that. So yeah, in 1930, this racist asshole could make a movie about black people having sex with monkeys in Africa. And there weren't even any black people in it. And it wasn't even shot in Africa. I think it was in Florida or California. And there were white people in blackface. And we're not even going to get into why blackface um <laughs> blackface needs to not be a thing done um so what was interesting though about ngagi is that it spurred a sort of pseudo sequel well it was a movie called son of ngagi which really wasn't a sequel but it was sort of an offshoot movie um that was directed by or written by spencer williams which uh, I remembered, I remember Amos and Andy, um, they, this was back in the forties, more so like in my dad's childhood, where there were two black men that were just these funny comedic characters, sort of the precursor to what the honeymooners were. Uh, so Spencer Williams will always go down in history as being Andy from Amos and Andy, but he was really central in writing a lot of early black horror films. and centralizing around all black cast which you just did not see that then and not only that all black cast that were painted in a positive light like son of ngagi featured a black female scientist that had what she deemed a missing link gorilla ape type character that she was trying to do experiments on and she had a black uh lawyer in her family there was uh just yeah it was just to, to depict black families in a positive light and also give them these upper class what was considered upper class positions jobs like scientists and lawyers like 1930s that just didn't happen like that just that wasn't that wasn't going to happen because basically and what I like about horror noir is that it follows kind of a timeline is that so it kind of starts from like the 1930s and 40s where besides Son of Ngagi and a couple of other films that Spencer Williams wrote, black people were either depicted as quiet slaves or servants or just kind of buffoony, funny, comical characters in horror films. So like if you had The Mummy or any of those kind of uh, universal horror films at that time, you know, Frankenstein, Dracula, those kind of films. If you had any black people in those films, they were just kind of like comical or goofy or yes, a or yes, sir, you know, that kind of, you know, trope. And uh, yeah, total stereotype, total complete stereotype because these were white filmmakers. Again, white filmmakers writing for black characters at that time were just going to be very stereotypical. Um, because of where they were coming from. So then you had that during the 30s and 40s. Then you get into the 1950s and 60s where it was kind of more of, you you saw more of a sci-fi age in the 50s and 60s. Everything was very science fiction. Everything was just these B-movies. Everything was, 
you know, the attack of the 50 foot woman and giant ants and those, you know, those kind of movies. But then, so you had like literally no black people in the fifties and sixties when it came, when it came to science fiction. So then in turn, what they did, which this was part of the documentary that really flipped me because I really, maybe it was in the back of my head, but for it to be brought to the forefront and having to look at it this way now, it's like, oh my God. They basically took aliens and monster characters and made them the representation of black people in sci-fi. So case in point, Creature from the back, creature of the black lagoon. Creature from the black lagoon. This one, creature from the back lagoon. First of all, black lagoon. Like why? Like, and that character looked very. It just the big lips, the whole thing. Like when they started to describe it that way, and it's it's jumping out of the the shadows and attacking white women. You're like. Whoa. <laughs> I didn't think about it till I, I watched um, that and I was like shooketh. Like I didn't even I was like, oh my god. I didn't look at it that I think it was kind of always in the back of my head. But then somebody really throwing it out there and pointing it out there, you're like Well then oh, they talk shit. about King Kong. Oh well I, people. Okay. That one was kinda obvious that was, though. Like we don't need to keep the only time I need to see King Kong anymore now in any remakes is this King Kong, this badass on Skull Island that they're doing with Godzilla. Like, I'm all That's for cool. those King Kong movies. Otherwise, stop making these white people going to Africa, fucking with black people, stealing this gorilla that, oh, tax a white woman. Like, we don't need to. That movie was so racist. Like, we don't need to see that anymore. <laughs> Stop with King, like King Kong was, King Kong was very obvious. Like yeah, Creature, the, Creature from the Black Lagoon wasn't as obvious, but King Kong, like the older I got, I'm like, that's racist ass. Like King Kong was racist. <laughs> like if you haven't figured that out, like that was a very racist movie. Um, but then in the late 60s, specifically in 1968, we got Night of the Living Dead by, rest in peace, the late, great George A. Romero, who really just, so like, not only did Night of the Living Dead pretty much change the game when it came to zombie films, like every single zombie film show, whatever, owes it to Night of the Living Dead. Like they just owe it. Like there would be no Walking Dead. There would be no nothing. There would be no zombies. For, there would genre. be zombies. There wouldn't be, I mean, you kind of had a little bit of that prior to Night of the Living Dead and mostly it was centered around voodoo and that I don't even get don't even get me started on how stereotypical that is in black culture it's like yeah everybody in New Orleans knows voodoo huh? no um you're a black woman yep yeah if you're a black woman you live in Louisiana you know voodoo no. I guarantee you would walk up to the first black woman she'd be like what the fuck are you talking what are about you talking about I don't know like, voodoo stop yeah that's <laughs> yeah so that in itself but no yeah there really would be no zombie genre at all if it wasn't for Night of the Living Dead and then not only that George A Romero gave a lead character to a black man a lead character not only in a movie during the civil rights movement but in a horror film and it was played by the late Dwayne Jones, who just nailed this character. And not only was he lead, he was the hero. He was the hero. 
he essentially like he so you got a double whammy. He, he saved everybody. And he like, hero. and if you if anybody has seen the remake, Tony Todd played him in the in the remake. Um, but God bless that. It man. was just it was Dwayne Jones. Just I mean, he first of all, gorgeous boy, <laughs> like very attractive, <laughs> like very sexy voice, like just just strong, knocking white folks out. Yeah, they were zombies, but they were white people. It was great. And just like, it was awesome. But then the end of the movie was like, whoa. Uh, because here comes police and white people in, the cavalry comes in, and he obviously isn't a zombie, but, you know, spoiler alert, hopefully people have seen this movie by now, but um, they kill him. And he's burned on a pyre with a bunch of other dead bodies. And... That was, I, I feel like not only was that hard for me in the time that I saw the movie, I couldn't imagine being young and black in the 60s. Because not only that, like right after George A. Romero shot this movie, this was the year that Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. So like, there was a lot going on during this time. So for you to not only have a black lead, but then for him to die in the way that he did. Now, mind you, this was not originally written as a black character. Dwayne Jones just happened to come in and nail the fucking audition. He just nailed it. He was that amazing of an actor. And so that if if it was a white person and it ended that way, it wouldn't have made a difference. But the fact that it was a black man and you see this all white, you know, I mean, it just was reminiscent of so much of what you saw in the media during that time of riots happening and you know, black people being pushed by the police and dogs chasing them and fire hoses and sit-ins and just, just everything, just everything, you know, like this was just a really turbulent time. And, but, uh, to his credit, George A. Romero really made a difference with that movie. Like not only just in black cinema, but really specifically in black horror, because it also made a point to say that even if a character is written as white, anybody could come in and play that character if they play it the right way. So it gave like rise to that. Cause we've, we've seen that since like we, you know, we, we've obviously seen that since like this may have not been written for black Asian, whatever, but they just came in and nailed the part so well that that's, it took on a life of its own. And that's how it should be. And it should be that way. Yeah. It should definitely be that way. Um, so we get into the 70s where the 70s was the rise of black exploitation movies. So this is where you basically took exploitation and black, threw them together, and you got movies like Shaft and Dolomite and uh, Foxy Brown with the amazing Pam Greer. And you got, oh my you God, know, can, so we, you got can we talk about Pam Greer though? Pam Greer. Oh my God, I'm obsessed um, with Pam that Greer. That woman. <laughs> Oh my God. Um, Ham Greer though. So black exploitation films like, so yeah, you had, you had rise to more black people in film. And not only that, black people doing their own films, like independent films, but they were really over the top. Like, you know, basically black men were pimps and black women were hoes. And it just was a lot of like, 
man, you jive, turkey. Like, just a lot of that shit and, like, you know, the big hats and the whole thing and the bell bottoms and the whole bit. So it was still, like, yeah, you had black people in, in cinema and, yeah, they were getting they were getting out there, but you had a trope. Like, it was fitting into an stereotype. obvious stereotype. Um, so with that, you had black exploitation and horror, and there were so many films that came that were either stereotypes or actually really did well. Um, and one of them specifically was Blackula, which spawned a sequel called Scream, Blackula, Scream, which had Pam Greer in it. Um, and Blackula was film? one of these, it was one of her first films. She was a lead in it or co-lead. And she played a very serious role, which was something completely different than what you saw. Even though Foxy Brown was a very strong black character, it was still kind of that sassy, ah, Foxy Brown, it was still kind of this sassy black woman stereotype whereas in scream blackula scream she was more of this like spiritual almost sort of a guide that was trying to harness this power away from blackula being a vampire and uh she just you you saw more of her acting range early on in 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 her work in this movie in that movie specifically but um you know blackula was obviously a spinoff from Dracula that had a black man in it. Um, his name was uh, William Marshall. It was directed by William Crane, who was a black director, which you didn't see much of at that time. The whole rest of the crew was white, obviously, which was something that we were talking about earlier. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, this movie, William Marshall, again, just like Dwayne Jones, had this very almost Shakespearean way of speaking and inflection in his voice and um it's been years since I've seen Blackula it's one of my dad's favorites for obvious reasons it's very funny and over the top but it does make a point of in the very which I totally forgot about this but in the very beginning of the movie it talks about the history of how he became Blackula and part of it was he was this almost he was a dignitary and he was sitting with another woman that almost made me think about black panther where she looked like a queen and this white guy was arguing with him about um they were art oh no it was a discussion about the atlantic slave trade and this other white guy who was another dignitary was discussing with him about how uh oh, you really think we should end the slave trade like why do you you know like basically just like casually and william Marshall just says this incredible line, like you find you find merit in barbarity. Like the way he delivered it and the way he said it was just he just had such an immaculate presence to his voice. And also like you just again to have a character like that discussing something like that in its context in a movie like that, like it created a social commentary in a movie that otherwise wasn't meant to. So um, then you had a few other ones. There was a, one that was called Abby, which I had never heard of, but that was really interesting. Um, essentially it was about a pastor's wife that becomes possessed by a sex demon. And I thought in this movie, so black women specifically not even so much in horror but just in movies in general if they weren't the mammy servant gone with the wind type character if they were in any way shape or form attractive a la a dorothy dandridge then they were given this 
hype. They were like hypersexualized. Black women were hypersexualized. And that all goes back to an extreme stereotype rooted in slavery, um, just based on the way Black women's bodies looked and just a whole host of different things that even people to this day, unfortunately, still sensationalize. And um, this movie really played on a hyper-sexualized Black woman. Like, she's this gorgeous Black woman that's supposed to be very godly and saintly because she's married to a pastor, but then she becomes overwhelmed by this sex demon. Wait a minute. It's like... And Abby get with the Velocipaster? And then we make a movie called Velocipaster and Abby. <laughs> That's amazing. Velocipaster Abby. <laughs> I love it. It's perfect. It is pretty perfect. Because you have a Velociraptor pastor and then you have a Sci fi. Abby. Sci fi. Get on that. Hello. Sci fi. <laughs> get on that. Hey. Hello. Whoever made. Uh, Hello. Whoever made Shark. Opolis, whatever. Sharknado? Yeah, there you go. Oh, I was like, I don't fucking know. Whoever made those movies, make this movie. That would be, I still need to see Velocipaster. Let's, let's do this. Let's make this shit happen. Velocipaster um, Abby. Let's do perfect. it right now. I love it. Lupita Nyongo has to be Abby just because. And I'm the Velociraptor has to be black. <laughs> it's brilliant. Jordan Peele. <laughs> Hey Jordan. Oh my god. I got I got a movie pitch why for you. Sound. Oh my god. Why does that actually sound really fucking funny? It needs to be Lupita and the guy that played funny. her husband and us. It needs to be them. <laughs> and why those blow up Velociraptor? My god. My god. Yes, please. <laughs> And then wait, Pam Greer comes I'm in, so fucking and dead. she's the fucking badass who's going after them. I'm so fucking dead. And she's like, her character from uh, Ghost of Mars. That's a great movie. Comes um, in and fucking destroys them. Oh my god! Jordan Peele make this movie. That is incredible. <laughs> that is really fucking funny. And sci-fi needs to produce it. They've got the money. They can make that happen. Well, I mean, they are getting ready to release that Chucky, so. Um, one last one from around that time was a, which I've actually never seen this movie. Um, never heard of it either, but it was sort of a take on Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and it was called Dr. Black and Mr. Hyde. Um, and essentially what this movie was about was, uh, experimenting on black people, like basically using black people as lab rats which immediately, and of course they talked about this, made me think about the Tuskegee uh, experiments, which um, is a really dark spot in our nation's history. And it's something that everyone should know about. Uh, it was really awful. And really it went on up. and it went on for way too long. Was it 20 years? It's at least yeah that was probably minimal 30 minimal years. 20 years yeah Whereas, no it was 40 was yeah it was it, longer it was than 40, that it was over it? 40 years yeah because it yeah. went on it went on into the oh my god wasn't it from the, the 80s, 30s to the 70s, 70s or something like that yeah where basically black people were given syphilis they were even though they told they were being cured that they were being cured for syphilis they were actually they were told they were being given an inoculate inoculation like a flu shot basically to prevent it but they were given it 
to see how their bodies would react to it. That's yeah. That's so so that up. happened in this country. Yep, it sure did. It's real. It happened. Look it up. Um, that's a horror movie. So again, itself. like it goes back to what they said in the beginning that a lot of black history is black horror. So to make a movie like that and know that that was actually happening, that's a horror movie in itself. Um, another one they touched on, which is actually on Shutter, and the more I kept seeing it, I think I want to see this. It was that the movie they talked about, Ganja and Hess. The I want to see no, the one that had Dwayne Jones. Is it, in it on Shutter? Because they were talking about how there I was not a copy thought, of it anymore. Well, well, the original. I'm the sorry, original the copy. original one. Well, I came across it on Shutter. I don't know if it's the original copy or the one that's been edited, but it was like the titled, American version. Yeah, of it? it was titled Ganja and Hess because I think they said the American version. They changed the name, but this one blood, didn't have the blood, blood. Marriage, blood, something like something that. Something like that. Um, and this one had Dwayne Jones in it again from uh, Blood Couple. That's it. Had uh, Dwayne Jones from I Living Dead in it. Um, and it was just it looked like a really beautiful love story. Um, about it's, a it's not about a black man who was a dignitary that was a vampire, and kind of used the metaphor of addiction as representation of his bloodlust as a vampire but it was kind of a love story and they were describing how like for its time what time when was it made in the 70s 73 yeah the original is on shutter it is on shutter okay so the original is on shutter um i am going to watch this i urge everyone to watch this um it's definitely a movie that looks like it was ahead of its time and i'm glad that it's since been released because i think more people would appreciate it um, that's really cool that they a black love a black love story with vampires like sign me up for that can I'm we also just that. give a huge fucking shout out to shutter five dollars a fucking month for literally yeah a lot just... of people this is not an ad at all by the way but a it's lot of not. people really if you're a horror fan and really love all types of horror you need to get Shutter. It's worth the $5. Audition is on here. That's a great film too. Holy fuck. But speaking of like just Again, audition, ganja, like black horror, Asian horror, just the subgenres of horror and the representation of people of color on this streaming service are absolutely incredible. It's just I like really urge a lot of people. What's that director's just name? Get Shutter. The one that Parasite. What's his name? Oh, Bong something. Bong Joon Ho, I think. I thought that was the last name. Let me look it up really quick because I just. Well, if you guys saw the Oscars, that. actually, I'm sorry, it wasn't the Oscars. It was the uh, Bong Joon Ho. Yes. Uh, yes. Golden Globes. When he won for Best Picture, the first thing out of his mouth was, "You open your world to a whole new realm of movies when you get past reading the subtitles." Yeah, he was basically and telling it, stupid people that if you learn to read. You could really open yourself up to some great fucking movies. <laughs> and that's French, Japanese, mm-hmm. Chinese, Korean. Korean, though. Oh, Korean and Japanese have my soul. Um, but seriously, like, it's just like she was saying on Shudder. They have such diversity on there with black people and Asian people and all different types of horror all over the world and all over it's just it's amazing that and it's five dollars a month 
Yeah, like that's so. If you're a horror fan, but you say that you're getting sick of horror films, you're wrapping your mind around American horror films. Yep. There are so many other countries and cultures out there that are making really good quality horror films that, again, if you would learn how to read and pay attention and open yourself up to it, you would discover some in fucking credible horror films. You know what we should do as an episode this year? For an entire month, pick a country. Yeah. And just focus on that country's horror movies. Like, maybe five movies. Where we take the week and we watch all of those movies and discuss how those movies compare to American movies. Because I can tell you right now, French horror is very aggressive. It's Oh, God. It's so... um, What's the word? I don't want the word visceral. aggressive. Yeah. It's visceral. very visceral. Yeah, it's very visceral. You have that and then you have Japanese and Korean. That's fucking terrifying paranormal shit. Well, it's American audiences are still very stifled because we live in a very patriarchal society mm-hmm. still. And there's there's only so much that American audiences can open themselves up to that's allowed to be shown here. Whereas in other countries, they're just like, fuck that. <laughs> they ripped that up and said, nope. And they're just, they do whatever the fuck they want. So again, that's why I'm saying, I think a lot of people that say, oh, I'm a horror fan, but man, there just hasn't been any good quality horror films out recently. Then you're, you're other countries. Yeah. You are only, you're stifling yourself to just American horror. If that's the way you feel, because it's, it's not true. There are some really great countries pumping out some incredible horror films and, and really give, give credit to independent horror films yes. too like there are some b there are some really great there. independent horror filmmakers out there and a lot of them are black and a lot of them are you know different countries and cultures and everything and they need credit where credit's due like that's why another reason why we love doing the podcast and having people on support support people Especially when they're genuine people, down-to-earth good people, and they're just trying to get their name out there. And they're yeah. making good shit. Really good films. Like Andy Palmer Shout last week. Shout out to Andy. <laughs> yes, Andy. Seriously, like people like that who are genuinely good, a genuinely good person who's making good movies, trying to get his name out there. Yeah. Like, I, all I want to do is support that. And anyone that we can, I'm all about it. I mean, if you look at it, if you really look at it, Jordan Peele essentially was an independent yeah technically he just was able he had more of a backing because of his comedy career so he was able he had more of a foot in the door i should say in getting his movie picked up by uh a more mainstream production company because of right his connections but essentially he was a yeah you know independent you know a black independent film director so yeah, give give credit where credit's due all the way around. Don't don't count it out if you're a horror fan and saying horror's dead and there's nothing. There's there's just open open your mind. Open up your mind more cuz it's out there. It really is. And Shutter yes. is like I said this is totally not an ad. They're not paying us to say this, <laughs> but for $5 a month, holy shit, guys. Like Shutter is just if you're a horror fan, I don't use it enough and I need to. I like I I need to cuz it's, I need to it's use awesome it more myself. it's fucking amazing. Um 
And for reasons like this, like there's going to be movies that will reference in here. And, you know, you guys should definitely, a lot of these old school ones too. Like if you, I mean, for God, you guys have never seen, you guys have never seen Night of the Living Dead, the original, it's on there. The remake, the remake actually is really good too. Bill Mosley and Tony Todd, like I said, are in it. Um, Blackula is another, you guys, you'll laugh your ass off at how funny it is because it was in the seventies, but it's something you know, if you're used to Dracula and you go from Dracula to Blackula, it's like you're watching two completely different types of movies. And honestly, Blackula is way cooler. I'm just, I'm just saying. But a lot of these movies are, they're on Shudder. So like any of these that we mentioned that you're interested in watching, or if you watch, like I said, I watched horror noir and I'm like, I'm going to watch these films. Like there's films on there that I haven't seen yet that I'm now going to watch because I feel like I can look at them from a different perspective now what I, you know, now after applying them in this instance, when it comes to, you know, black history and black horror history. Um, so now we get into the eighties with black horror and I love how I put in my, so my notes, I put this big giant eighties, every black person dies in horror. Like, cause that's kind of what, so the eighties spawned that, that trope, like I've used it. Almost everybody I know that's black used it. You get yourself in certain situations and you're like, "Mm -mm, nope, I saw how this movie ends. I'm the only black person here. Uh Uh-uh. Not today, Satan. Not today. (laughs) Like, (laughs) not today. I see how this movie ends and it ain't happening to me. So uh, there were two. So there was funny that there were ones that they pointed out, which the thing, which to me was one of is still to this i mean i love halloween guys we all know how much i fucking love halloween but the thing was one of john carpenter's is one of john carpenter's most brilliant fucking films like that movie is just incredible and uh keith david lived at the end fucking amazing fucking amazing ending where you're like one of you is it (laughs) we don't know and i like this like that from beginning to middle to end, that movie's fucking incredible. Keith David lived. It's also one of the best effects I've oh. ever seen, too. Oh, my God. Do you remember Do you remember when we went to the, the Still museum fuck me up to this in day. Salem? And yes. they had the, the head with the the legs. Yep. And I was like, oh, my God. It's yeah, the thing. That thing fucked me. Still that was to this amazing. Day, me. Oh, my God. The scene with the dog. Oh, I can't talk. I still can't talk about it, guys. Ugh. If you haven't seen the thing, Jesus, watch that fucking movie. Um. And then Kincaid... You call yourself a horror fan and you haven't seen the thing? Stop. Um, <laughs> and Kincaid... Kincaid from Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. He was played by uh, Ken Sagos. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, I fucking loved Kincaid. First of all, I fucking love Dream Warriors. I will fight you. But that's the best one besides the original out of the entire New Nightmare, Nightmare gives it a run for well, its money. Well, New Nightmare does too. But, Kincaid, but it's amazing. Kincaid is fucking awesome. He does die in the fourth one. But he lived in the third one. And that's all that matters. Yeah, because the fourth that's one was... Matters. The fifth one was... <laughs> like, why? <laughs> I was like, why was this movie Why? Made? Oh, money. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Captain Obvious. Um, But, uh, yeah, so Kincaid was awesome. But, yeah, so... 80s gave so you saw more 
more and more and more and more and more black characters in horror in the 80s. But again, gave rise to the trope that if you're black in a horror film in the 80s, you gonna die. <laughs> you gonna die. You gonna die. And nine times out of 10, these black characters fit one of these stereotypes. And this is this gave rise, and we still, unfortunately, to this day, keep seeing these stereotypes. Not as much, but big time in the 80s and even into the 90s. Um, you had your black best friend, uh, the to- the token black or the chosen black. Like, oh, it's you. Why me? Because you're black. Oh, great. Um, the sassy black sidekick, like, what you doing, girl? Like, how you, oh, girl? Like, so tired of that. <laughs> you still see that. I'm so tired of that. Um, you know who I think made fun of that the best? The best was in Scary Movie. <laughs> she, wasn't she, she made, I mean, I love her anyway, that actress. Shit, I gotta look up her name because I fucking loved her. But she, she nailed, I mean, if if people didn't get the fact that she was clearly making fun of the way black women are portrayed in horror films. I mean, if you Regina Hall yes. played her and the character's name was Brenda and that Brenda. that character was just talking in the movie theater and ah, being loud and sassy and girl and all that. I mean, it was just like like that that was that character and you saw that you saw that in so many horror films you saw it um or you had the uh sacrificial negro or magical negro character the magical negro character and i hate to say this as much as i love this movie but oda may Whoopi goldberg's character in ghost is definitely the magical negro character um, or again, like I brought up voodoo movies, I love Serpent in the Rainbow, but Serpent in the Rainbow, that voodoo magical Negro character, like you got it again in that movie. Um, and then in the eighties, a good representation of the sacrificial Negro character was, uh, Scatman Carruthers, uh, care, uh, amazing, amazing acting, uh, as Dick Halloran in The Shining, which if most of you, I just recently watched Dr. Sleep, by the way, everybody needs to see that. It was amazing. But, um, in the book, The Shining, Dick Halloran lived. In the movie, he died. And essentially dying to save Danny, the little white boy, sacrificial Negro character. And I also loved how they pointed out in horror noir, which first thing I thought the first time I saw The Shining is, hold up, if he has The Shining, why didn't he see that axe coming? Spoiler, hopefully y'all see The Shining. But you would see that axe coming. He knew what was happening, <laughs> so why? Yeah, so um, well now that that movie makes no sense. Yeah, now it makes no sense. It made sense up until that point, and then it makes no sense because it's like, wait, if he now everybody's shining, like, oh my god, how did Jack? <laughs> right. So, um, and then we'll get more into that sacrificial Negro character because, like I said, you still you still unfortunately see a lot of these stereotypes. Uh, in movies, in black horror films. Uh, Not as much, but you still see them. Um, So again, in the 80s, we start seeing more black people, but we're getting this trope and they're all dying and that's not good. But then into the 90s, you're starting to see even more black characters, but you're starting to see 
more leads, more all black casts. Um, and again, I'll, I'll reference God love rest in peace, Wes Craven serpent in the rainbow was great. Even though I did have that magical Negro character, but he went on to do two really great horror films that had all black cast and just really great storylines. And to this day are some of my favorites. People Under the Stairs. Amazing. Was such incredible social commentary and just a lead black child. Just great. Great movie. And Vampire in Brooklyn, which is such a funny black comedy. Uh, you had Eddie Murphy and all the different characters he played. And Angela Bassett was sexy as hell in that movie. And it is. Is just, to oh, this is. day. Have you seen Angela Hallelujah. Um, so that, yeah, so God bless Wes Craven. Because, I mean, we all obviously know him from Nightmare on Elm Street. But to give rise in the early 90s to these two horror films that were all centered around black characters was just, he nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it with those films. Really did a great job. Um, we got Candyman. Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. We got Candyman. Tony Todd will always be Candyman. That movie scared the fuck out of me the first that time I saw it. Then again, so I was a amazing. child. But um, that was such a brilliant film. It was so good. It was it just was so good. And then if people didn't understand it. And the sequels it, aren't, don't suck either, honestly. If, well, the thing that was even better about the, the sequel, Candyman 2, right after, the real important thing about that one really tied, if you, I feel like people, almost kind of like The Godfather, I feel like where you should watch Godfather 2 first and then watch The Godfather, you should watch Candyman 2 first and yeah. then watch Candyman. Because to know his backstory and then to understand, like, it made you get why he did what he did. Like, white people did this to me. I'm gonna do this to white folks. Like, and <laughs> and set it in, you know, the first one just being set in the ghetto and then you think you're gonna have this white character that's gonna come in and save everybody and you don't really, I mean, like, he's kind of using her as a vessel, but then you get why and you and it's just the whole thing. Like, that, as, as much as it scared me as a kid, I've grown to appreciate everything about that film. And we finally got a black lead horror character. Not to mention, guys, listen. I'm like, Candyman you. is right there with Freddy. He's right there with Michael. He's right there with Jason. He's right there. Like, he's right there. Like, I met him last year. And it's really funny how it happened. Because I did not know he was at Horror Hound. And me and... um. Kenzie turned the corner and I literally ran into him. Like, I don't, I think I was looking over somewhere else and I walked right into him and I turned and looked and I said, excuse me. And I looked up and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, hey, how's it going? And I was like, Kenzie, it's Tony Todd. <laughs> and she was like, Tony Todd was one of, like, she loved Candyman. Still to this day, oh. like, that's one of her favorite movies with her Still mom. Still love that movie. So it's really funny because he's like, I'm actually getting ready to go to lunch here in a second, but I'll be back in about 30 minutes. Am I going to see you? And I was like, I will be right here, sir. I will be right here waiting for you. And let me tell you, gentle giant. Yeah. Everybody says that. One of him. the nicest people I have ever met. And he was so kind and considerate and just sweet and caring. And I was like... I put him right next to Robert England because Robert England's the same way. Yeah. And it's like when you meet people like that and they're just so sweet and kind. Like I seeing Tony Todd in the in the documentary, I was like, I've met him and he's like the nicest person in the world. 
I hope one of these days I get to meet him because I've heard that about him and he's going to be at that convention we're going to in Lexington with the Blair Witch people. He has really changed, uh, or he, like I said, he's, he stands up there with the greats of horror and I'm glad that he has embraced the fact that he will always be Candyman. And the fact he's in the new one? Like, he's always going to be, yeah, God bless Jordan Peele for this reboot. This is going to, it's going to be really good. God bless Jordan Peele, period. Period. Um, (laughs) We're going to get into him in a minute. Um, We had a really great, so I love and thought, like, if you guys, if you guys have been listening this long enough, if you've been a long time listener, thank you. New time listener, welcome. Um, We love you both. I love anthology series. Yes. And I love found footage and horror. Two of my favorite genres We both ever. do. Um, and Tales from the Hood is still to this day one of my all-time favorite horror anthologies. And the fact that it is an all-black horror anthology and it was directed by Rusty Cundiff, a black director, and he just nailed nailed this fucking movie uh it's you know you you've got clarence williams the third uh who just who in himself as a black actor you know he he was on the mod squad he's just you know he's got a pedigree in hollywood and you have him as kind of the main leader and the and it's just it had all of these different stories that intertwined with so many different things that to this day are so culturally relevant Domestic violence, police brutality, gang violence, a racist politician. Hmm. Uh, it just like it had so much that still holds true. And there was a like that the the com- the social commentary in that anthology was incredible. And again, like I said, he was meaning, you know, the police brutality. There was Rodney King and the LA riots in, in uh 92 and so much centralizing around that in the time that he was writing this. But like I said, even though that was going on, we're still seeing a lot of those things. So it still holds true even today. And finally, a couple of years ago, he was able to green light a sequel. So that one is on Netflix, I think still. Um, Keith David has now taken over for Clarence Williams III's character from the first one. And it's still a horror anthology. It gives a lot of odes to the original one. It's scary. But it also ends on a really powerful note. It talks about uh, the um, brutal death of, uh, oh my God, I can't believe the name escaped me all of a sudden. Um, I'm sorry, guys. But uh, Emmett Till. It discussed Emmett Till's murder. um, And if you got, you know, I'll briefly go into the history of this. He was a young boy accused of whistling at a white woman. Come to find out that never happened. He was try. Uh, he ended up being murdered, viciously beaten and murdered um, by the woman's husband, who was found not guilty, but later on his deathbed admitted to it. So obviously nothing happened there. But uh, when Emmett Till's body was sent back to his mother, the body was so beaten and bloated, but his mother requested that there be an open casket because she wanted to show the brutality of racism in the country and what could happen to even an innocent young boy in such a racist environment. And um, if people aren't familiar with it, just Google it. And it's one of the most heartbreaking stories ever to this day. And his mother was a real pioneer in civil rights. 
to have to go through something so brutal. He was like 13. This like never should have happened to a child, whether he whistled at the woman or not. He didn't obviously, but that's needless to say. Um, the sequel from Tales for the Hood does deal with a little bit of that too. So it's as the first anthology and the second one, there were parts of it. Obviously, as a black person, you are going to find extremely, really anybody should find them emotional if you have a heart and you're empathetic. But if you're black, they're going to be extremely emotional. But elements of it are very scary because they're some of them are real. And even ones that aren't real, there's still elements of it that are very scary. Um, so yeah, Rusty Cundiff, like, bravo to that man. And he needs, credit needs to be given to him when you talk about horror anthology series. If you're going to talk about horror anthology series and not mention Tales from the Hood, I got nothing to say to you. Because that movie needs to stand with every single one. It needs to. And it was early, it was early on when not only a black anthology series, but prior to even seeing a lot of horror, you started seeing more horror anthology series after that. Even, like set, even set kind of the... copying him in a way. You know what I mean? Kinda like in the, the setup, he really did. He really did. Um, yeah, so shout out to Rusty Cundiff. Tales from the Hood is incredible. If you guys haven't seen it, pl please watch it because it still holds true to this day and it's really, really, really good. It's it's scary, but there's also incredible social commentary in it that is still relevant. Um, you start seeing more women in horror in the 90s too and lead characters. Uh, like we said, Rachel True in The Craft. Um, uh, Blade. Uh, I still know what you did last summer had brandy in it. Um, and she lived. Yay. Um, going back though, real quick to Rachel True's character in the craft. I love her interview in the horror noir documentary and her point of saying that she really didn't come to understand how much her character meant to young black girls until later on when she started meeting more fans of the film and realizing that when she was younger and watching Pretty in Pink and didn't see representation of herself in film, she is now that to young black girls in film. I'm one of those young black girls. <laughs> like the day that I get to meet her, I'll probably cry because it changed like everything for me for me personally like that's why I love that Casper went off into the whole thing about how anytime the craft cast was discussed in conventions the fact that she was never mentioned was mind-boggling to me she's on the cover of the fucking movie like she's she's one of there the are four main characters and she's one of them and she's and one of them her storyline is absolutely incredible like the fact that she said that she went in with this whole monologue of being anorexic and they were like nah scratch that um you deal with racism because that's what would happen because not only has she personally gone through that I've gone through that a lot of other young black girls have gone through that and like uh you know just if you guys haven't listened to, we did a we did an incredible uh, podcast with Horror Nights In with Crystal from Horror Nights In, and it was about the craft. Please go listen to that because I praise Rachel True so much in that in that podcast. 
because she that character was just everything to me. But you should, because this is another reason why I'm very passionate about this subject. I grew up with representation. I grew up with having characters I connected to. Right. M- pretty good amount of them. Right. Black people don't have that. They do now more. Right. It's it's getting better now, but even now it's really not that much. And I want little black girls to have strong leads, mm-hmm. strong black female leads that they can look up to and say, oh my God, it's one of the reasons why I love Black Panther so much. Because mm-hmm. now these little girls can see these queens and kings and it's all black people and they're just like, God, I have chills talking about this. I'm like, you get to look at that person and you get to say... That's something I want to aspire to be. That inspires me. I have representation. This isn't some kind of stereotypical person. This is me as a queen. And that's why I love that you had that character from the craft. And if there's if she comes to a convention around here, bitch, you better believe we going to get tickets and we're going to go because I want you to meet her so bad because that's like meeting a hero. Literally. It's it's I like meeting a hero and you and that's something that you had. So that's another thing that I I care about so much. Like, I want little girls to have a character because that's kind of how you get through shit, honestly, is seeing, oh, hey, I'm not alone. This person in this movie or TV show is going through the same thing. I I had none of that. I had none of that till her character. I had none of that till her character. And how old were you? How old were you when you had that? When, okay, so the first time I saw the craft, I was like 13, like 12 or 13. And, I was a nerdy black kid. See, to me, like, that's bullshit. You should not have had to wait till you were a fucking teenager. Yeah, to have I didn't a have. Like that. I didn't have. I mean, you know, like there were a few. They're just, but any movies that I liked, any any teen movies that were around that related to anything, there was none of that. I didn't have that. I didn't have that. And then again, like I said, even though it was joked, I had a lot of white friends. And if it was ever joked around about, you know, horror films or anything like that, like I made the point of saying, I was usually the only black person around and I'd be like, nah, I see how this movie ends. Fuck y'all. I'm always the one that's to <laughs> write me out and be the first to die. Fuck out of here. Like, so yeah, that was always the thing. There was never, you know, until later where you start saying, hold up, wait, I could be the one to live and the rest of y'all could fucking die. I'm a hero, for God's sakes. I like sakes. this. I like this. <laughs> I like this. Like, but why, like, that took, I was a teenager before you started seeing those kind of movies. Like, before you started seeing that. But still, even then, like, you know, I'm naming off a few. You were still kind of like, like, okay, I still know what you did last summer. Yeah, Brandy lived, but she was still like, the friend, you know what I mean? Like, it was just like Rachel said. She, how, it actually kind of made me laugh a little bit. How many times she's can like, I practice? Are you okay? You okay? Are you, you okay? okay? Are you, Are you okay? okay? You okay? You okay? She's like, I am so sick of it. <laughs> Saying, "Are you okay?" Ten ways from Sunday. Like, like, why aren't you as an amazing actress as you are? Why aren't you a lead somewhere? She's an amazing actress. Well, she's did. She's done more independent films. Well, now, yeah, yeah. She's just since the craft. She did a lot more independent films, and 
you know, that was what she chose, but. Yeah, that just cracked me up. She's also, like, how like, many times have I had to be like, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Like, yeah, because you get sick of that. Because she's like, like, yeah, no one gives a fuck about what's going on in the black girl's life. But we always got to care about the white girl. We always got to care about what's going on in the white girl's life. And I was like, she's right. She's definitely right. <laughs> she's for real right. Very right. Because when has a white girl ever been like, no, not really, talked about it, then been like, well, enough about me, but how are you doing? Never. I've had that in quite a few of my own white friendships. Not going to go there. Uh, <laughs> not me, I would like to say. Definitely <laughs> not you. Definitely not you. But I literally in the same sentence will be like, I don't want to fucking talk about it. How are you? <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I've been there and a lot of this I found relatable. Because I know what it's like to, A, have white friends that treat you like a stereotype. B date outside your race and have white guys treat you like a stereotype like it doesn't just happen in movies it can still it it happens in real life where people watch movies though this is what i'm saying you're not if you're not getting a representation here you can't expect to get or you should you should but it's it's harder is what I'm trying to say. If you're not getting the representation where everybody sees it on film, on television, when people interact with you in real life, they unfortunately are going to treat you as the stereotype that they saw here. Because there's still, you know, because if they're, you know, there's a lot of white kids that grow up in areas of the country where maybe there was like one black kid in their school or one, you know, if you grow up in the middle of Montana, I guarantee you there's not a Deshaun that went to your high school. And if he did, he was a transfer and he does not want to be there. And <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? But that's what I'm saying. So, like, if you're a little Tommy in Montana and you're watching these movies and this is what you see black people as the first time you actually meet a black person, this is what you're going to think. And that's what needs to stop. So that was the point of... Se- that that was the whole point. So this is why I'm saying this this documentary was so good on so many levels, not just horror, but just all the way through. Because you need representation on film of all races normal. Not, not stereotyped, not, you know, hyper-sexualized or over the top or whatever, just as normal fucking everyday people. And that goes for gay that goes for black, that goes for Asian, that goes for whatever, just have them be regular fucking people because that's what they are is regular fucking people. Very not rarely the do you kick, even not find the, the stereotype. Like, very rarely do you even find someone that actually acts like the stereotype. Like, extremely. Very yeah. rarely. Like, one out of a million, probably. Yeah. And they probably learned it from a film or a TV show. Or, and unfortunately, in a lot of inner cities... It's, you're, you're raised around a stereotype and you're almost taught to only be that stereotype, unfortunately. You're, you know, if you, if you grow up under circumstances that are out of your control in a gang, in the inner city, in the ghetto, in whatever, and you are unfortunately taught that that's all you're ever going to be 
then you fall into that stereotype. And that's really unfortunate. And a lot of that happens. It's really sad. Um, I read something the other day on Instagram that I thought was so poignant. Black people, black adults, black parents need to stop telling little black kids that want to read, that listen to rock music, that speak proper. Stop saying they act white. Like, stop saying that. Stop. That is so psychologically damaging to young black minds to tell them if you don't fall into this stereotype, then you quote unquote act white. I was told that throughout my entire childhood into my teen years. I think I just rolled my eyes so hard I look possessed. Yeah, it's close. But it's 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 <laughs> damaging. It's psychologically damaging to tell little black kids that because you're 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 stifling their growth as people to tell them that if you don't fit into this mold this is what you're acting like. That's, that's really wrong. fucked up. It's real. It is extremely fucked up and it keeps you fucked up and it makes you, you go through a real identity crisis because you start having this like, well, if I'm not, I'm never going to be white enough for white people. So how am I ever going to be black enough for black people? Like you go through this real, I went through a real fucked up. You go through, it fucked me up psychologically big time as a kid. Because you feel like you can't fit in anywhere. Like, I have nowhere to go. Like, it's getting, I, that's why I said now it's, ch- now it's just changing so much more. You know, you have these, you know, you, you have these groups and blogs and websites and everything like black nerds and, and black geeks. And, and there's just so much more now of representation for black people that if you do if you are outside of that norm, quote unquote, and you're a black kid, you have somewhere to go now. Like, yeah, I'm a black geeky kid who likes Marilyn Manson, but I rock with ASAP Rocky too. Is that still a rapper? I hope. God, I sound old. Um, Can but I, like, yeah, I, if you're one of those kids, like you have somewhere to go now. Yeah. Whereas me, who was like, yeah, I like Tupac, but I rock with Marilyn Manson too. I had nowhere to go. I have nowhere to go. Like, you do now. Like, the fact that I see rappers now wearing, like, Megadeth shirts, I'm like, you didn't see that. You would have never, you would have never, never. When I wore Marilyn Manson shirts as a black kid, I got bullied to the 10th, umpteenth degree. Now you're seeing black kids with piercings and purple hair wearing fucking Slayer shirts. And I'm like, but too fucking late. <laughs> You're like, thanks. Because those black kids were those black kids were around 20 years ago. Trust me, they were. But they weren't rocking those Slayer shirts because they would have gotten the shit kicked out of them. Like, I'm just saying. So I have this meme I want to share because it just came to my mind and I don't know why. It I did. love it. And we're but almost done anyway. It's so. really fucking hilarious because my sister sent it to me and I laughed so hard I actually peed. And it's about a little bit black people names and white people names. And this is probably the funniest thing I've ever read in my life. I'm sure. White people. Oh my God. <laughs> I can't even You're like, like, I can't even get into it. <laughs> oh my God. Lakeisha is such a ghetto name. Also white people. 
Oh my god, here comes my child daffodil ginseng blueberry yogurt. <laughs> named her kid Apple, y'all. But if I hear a white person say anything about LaQuisha, I'm gonna punch you in the throat. I will punch you in the throat. Okay? This is, you got I laughed so hard at this because I was like, inspector and shit. This is, but, this just absolutely destroyed me because I was like, the truth to that? Because like, growing up and stuff, like being around white people all the time and hearing, you know, they make fun of black people's names and I'm like, okay, chair. <laughs> like like that's your or name. when people name their kid like Michaela and spell it I don't even oh my god oh my god oh my god why are there like 27 different spellings of Michaela fucking white people but you want to say something see this is why I about Lakeisha like, Lakeisha is very easy to spell and unless they get too ghetto, there should really only be like one, maybe two different spellings of Lakeisha. But y'all will find 27 different ways to spell Michaela. Fucking stop it. Like, or the, the one video where... It or Allison. Why are there 20... <laughs> that is the whitest name ever. And there are 29 different ways to no. spell Allison. Fucking stop it. Brittany. Or Brittany, too. Fucking I do know a black Brittany, actually. Stop it. But she doesn't act With like Brittany's. a Brittany. Way too many different ways to spell Britney, which is dumb. Do you remember the meme? Actually, it was a video of the guy that's reading off the names. Shithead. It's Shafid. <laughs> Jaqueline. Jaqueline. Is there a Jaqueline here? Um, it's Jacqueline. <laughs> that made me think about the key and peel bit. Hey, hey, Ron. <laughs> A A Ron, a <laughs> you don't mess up A A Ron. <gasps> oh God. God! Yeah, that I'm one so got me when it was that. like shithead. So He's like, we did that. It's Shafid. <laughs> and tell me why white people will get so mad because I don't know your thirty-first way of spelling Allison, and I spelled it the way I know how to spell Allison, and then they want to get mad. My name has a C in it, not an S. Excuse me. Alakin. <laughs> Do you know the English language? Alakazam? Is that your name? I think, that's a, I think that's a Pokemon. <laughs> Are you a Pokemon? Like, they, they have the nerve. Dead ass mad as fuck. Because I, because of the way. Has anyone ever told you you look like Beyonce? No, no. they tell me they look like I look like Shalissa. Who's that? Me. Me. <laughs> Has anyone ever told you you look like Shalissa? <laughs> God, to me though, there is nothing. This is one of the reasons why. I love our friendship. There is nothing better than knowing your race and being able to laugh at the idiocy that your race does because I know for like white people are dumb as hell, but you gotta have, you have dumb as hell in every race that don't matter what race you're in, you have trash. <laughs> oh, literally in all of them and they both hate each other and it's hysterical. <laughs> and I sit here and laugh because just like in the, in the movie us, when I leaned over to you and I said, do you know how nice it is to see 
white stereotypical rich people in a film because this is that get killed <laughs> in a great way it was amazing and though it was the woman from hands 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 maids hands maids oh my god that, that was incredible um so wrapping up the 90s real quick with uh women in horror um Jada Pinkett, I always forget about this movie, but Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, I constantly forget about this film, but it was our first time of seeing a black final girl, and that was Jada Pinkett Smith, and the director specifically said the reason why he cast her is because he knew as soon as everybody saw her, they were going to be like, oh, she's going to die, and she didn't. She ends up being the one that fucking saves, literally saves humanity, like, she saved everybody. So right there, you got, and I like I said, I constantly forget about this movie because it is a little cheesy, but she nailed that, she nailed that character that could have very well easily been played by a white girl, but it wasn't over the top. She wasn't, it wasn't stereotypical and she nailed that character. Um, and then another movie that gets overlooked a lot, again, that a lot of people wouldn't call horror that I was telling you about was Eve's Bayou. It's considered more of, it's called Eve's Bayou. Eve's. I thought you said use. And I was like, sheep? <laughs> I was like, I've never heard of this like film. Like, ba? Like, that. Like, sheep by you? Like, by you, like, sheep in a bayou? Like, or are they next to you? I'm so confused. <laughs> are they right by you? Or, like, like are they, is it a bayou or are they by are they you? Bayou? Baguette Cayman. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, this movie's great. I, I hate that. See, and again, a lot of people will argue. That's a horror. It's a supernatural thriller. But this movie, again, as important as Rachel True was to me, this movie was important to me because you got an all black cast, black female director and Casey Lemons, who everybody mo- knows mostly from Silence of the Lambs. Um, and then uh, Journey Smollett when she was actually a little child. So she most recently has been in Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey, but she has been acting since she was a kid and she nailed it in this movie. And this movie just, Samuel Jackson is in it. It's just, I mean, it, such an incredible all-star, all-black cast and had such a really haunting element to it and touched on so many different things. Um, but wonderful film. Really important, again, at that time to have such positive Black representation all the way around in a film uh, in the 90s. Um, Then going into the late 90s, early 2000s with horror, you're still kind of, again, you're more Black representation, more Black people in horror, more Black leads in horror, more Black female leads in horror. But then... You also had the trope of a lot of rappers in horror films. Um, LL Cool J. This was like all, yeah, LL Cool J and I remember H2O. seeing that movie for the first um, time and being like, "What the fuck?" And he he lived, thank God. Um, well, no, Deep Blue Sea. He wasn't Deep Blue Sea. Yep, Deep Blue Sea, which kind of was horror yeah. sharks. Yeah. Um, but he was also in Halloween H two O, um, Ice Cube and Anaconda. Uh, even though we, I don't want to remember Halloween Resurrection, but Busta Rhymes rapper that was a terrible movie. Uh, it was awful uh bones with snoop dogg which is hysterical <laughs> that movie's actually pretty fucking funny but um yeah you just had a real trope of 
rappers in horror in that time. But um, you got more into the later 2000s and more recently um, within the last year of a lot more Black representation. Um, one movie I really want to see that I wanted to touch on before we get into Jordan Peele a little bit um, is a British zombie film that I still have not seen yet called Girl with All the Gifts. And I really need to oh see this movie. Oh my God, you haven't seen that? I have not seen that yet. And I really need to see this film. Yeah, you do. I literally know everything about it. I just haven't seen it yet. It's so um, good. And again, it was one of those movies just like Night of the Living Dead where that character was not written for a little black girl. It's just she won out. She won the audition. But because she did, it it, it, it really... changed the dynamic yeah. of the film. Well, it's sort of... I like how Rachel True said in the documentary, it basically kind of showed Manifest Destiny failed. Like, it didn't really... Hey, white people, you know how you were going to swoop in and be the great white savior? No. Little black girl did it. <laughs> so... <laughs> basically but again like all right blueberry down <laughs> blueberry daffodil <laughs> yogurt <laughs> maple ginger <laughs> apple fucking <laughs> apple but yeah it's 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 amazing how casting can literally change the entire scope of a film and that's what this movie did changed it well changed we it. could we could talk about a movie we're gonna go into that um, <laughs> so whereas we've gotten great representation in horror with black people, there's still been a couple. Um, but we did, please go back and listen to our Jordan Peele episode if you haven't. We praise him up and down, all the way around with Get Out and Us. Um, Get Out was everything. That movie was literally everything. And can I say that when Jordan Peele said, spoiler alert, there are no good white people in this movie. And even though I wanted everybody to like this movie, I made this movie for black people. I was like, Thank you. I love how he goes like white Thank people can you. go see it, but this yeah, movie is made this for, movie black is for black people. And, and it I was, was like, and it was, and we thank you, <laughs> sir. Like Jordan, like I just, I'm like, we are not worthy at all. <laughs> like God, like Jordan us, Hill. us was amazing because again, a lot of social commentary. But Get Out was one of these movies where, as a black person. I've experienced almost everything in that film. Like from start to finish, being in a white neighborhood and walking around and like nervous as fuck. <laughs> like have you I've seen the been there. Have you seen the vine been of the guy? There. The, like, he's a black guy, I don't remember his name, but he takes off his shirt and he goes, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> run around this white neighborhood and he goes, I'm gonna steal all your shit. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, that's fucking hilarious. That's, a, that's hysterical. Um, <laughs> just everything from, uh, you know, uh, profiling from the police. Yes. Um, I always think it's funny how Paul Mooney, who is an incredible black comic, did a great bit about getting pulled over. He was not driving. He was a passenger with a white guy in the car. They got pulled over by the cops. The cops asked him for his ID. Everybody thought that was the funniest joke. Everybody laughed. And can I tell y'all, with every fiber of my being, that has happened to me. 
I didn't even have a driver's license at the time. Was not driving. But I got asked for my ID first by the white cop when a white man was driving. Why did he ask me? So this is what I'm saying. Like, this happens. No but it happens, though. Yeah. It happens, though. Because there were three black people in the car and one white guy driving. So the officer just wanted to make sure he was okay. I'd be like, are you okay? This shit happens. Like, it happens. It happens. So it's just, it was, there was so much in that movie just... The way certain, again, like I said, if little Timmy in Montana grew up watching stereotypical black characters and then for the first time met a black person, little Timmy might say some dumbass shit because he's ignorant and he doesn't know. And I've had that happen where clearly I was around white people that have not been around a lot of black people. And once they do get around a black person, they do not know how to speak to you. They just, they don't. And it's, and you, and I used to get upset, but then I have, but then the older I got and kind of flicked that chip off my shoulder, the older I got, I realized that, oh, they really don't know. Like they it really, is genuine they, ignorance. Re- they really, honest to God, do not know. They don't know. They grew up around white people in a white neighborhood. And the only time they saw black people was on TV and they saw them in a way that really was not a true representation of them. And that's what they thought. So they don't know. They like genuinely do not know. And yeah, everything Chris went through in that movie, I mean, that just down to being in an interracial relationship and, you know, just just everything, just everything. That movie just literally touched on everything. Like as a black person, I can say that like that movie I mean, not only was it scary, but I've just been there. I've just been there. I love that line in the movie where he was like, if there's too many white people around, I get nervous. I'm like, bruh, same. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm hella like, a little too white in here. <laughs> it's a little too white. A little too white in here. Just a little too white. Um, But yeah, you know, I've been there. I've still... In jobs, I can't tell you how many times I've had jobs where I'm the only white person, like, or only black person. Wish I was the only white person. Hold on. Sometimes. Uh, <laughs> like, wish. Um, Honestly. Just like, you know, like <laughs> but yeah, it's like so much of what that movie said. That's why I said he made this movie for black people and we thank you and we needed it and he made it around at a time where, you know, you had Charlottesville, you, you know, you had, uh, Trayvon Martin, you had, um, oh God, what was that other gentleman's name that was shot? Uh, just, you know, just everything, everything that was going on around that time, <clears throat> you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and just so much, you were just seeing so much that, And it's like Jordan Peele said, you know, like we, when President Obama was elected, there was, you know, he was still elected on this like 50-50 margin. So we knew that there was still this underlying systematic racism in this country. Like you knew it was still there because right after he was out and Trump came in, it was like a powder keg went off and you just had... 
And again, I said what I said about him, but people need to be held accountable for their own actions, whether they want to blame Trump or not. It unfortunately released this powder keg of just this, that underlying racism blew up. And all of a sudden now, white people were just literally thinking it was okay to just come up and grab a woman's hijab off her head or call a black person a nigga or just like whatever. Like they just all of a sudden like, oh, Trump's president. Well, I'm gonna be real racist now. And there ain't shit you can say about it. Like it was just like, what the fuck is happening with this country? Like on a level that I actually got scared. And before people want to say anything, I didn't like Hillary either. And that could be a whole nother, like, don't even go there with me. Like, I didn't like either one of them. I'm done. I'm with Joe Rogan. I don't even, I think the whole system is antiquated and we don't even need a president. We need a group of smart people that know what the fuck they're doing and checks and balances. And that, that could keep it a true democracy. Cause right now this whole thing we got is fucked up no matter who's in charge. I just don't like Trump as a person. I never have. And I never will. That's beside the point of a president, but there's just something that happened when he was elected. And like I said, I'm, I'm holding people, I'm not holding him accountable. I'm holding people accountable for their actions where they all of a sudden thought it was okay to just be super fucking racist, but do it based on who was now president. Like just, I'd never, I didn't even understand any of that. And I think that anybody in this generation, if we didn't live through the civil rights movement, we don't understand. Because in our eyes, we had we wore rose-colored glasses and we thought, oh, we had Obama. Yay. Progress. Yay. Wait. No. 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 Like it literally, like that's what you started seeing happen. And it just like I I was scared. I mean, I'll be quite honest. I went through I went through moments of being really scared. Like genuinely on a level that I hadn't felt in a really long time. I actually kind of thought we might hit another civil war. I didn't know what was gonna fucking happen. I was I like, I don't know what, what is gonna happen. Racism People right now. Just... Why is it, I'm like I know racism has always been a thing, but I'm like, why is it all of a sudden just escalated? Yeah, it is just. Whoo! I mean, it was like us versus them all of a sudden. I was like, I'm gonna need just... everyone to calm down. Yeah. Call like, the fuck everybody down. needs to. Just I said, take whoever threw that paper, <coughs> your mom's a hoe. Vine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it just got it got out of hand. It just got crazy. And Get Out was a movie that needed to be made, and it needed to be made in that time, and it came out at a time that I think everybody needed it. Everybody really needed to take a step back and kind of go, okay, look, and. That that movie needed we needed that movie in that time and it ended brilliantly and I'm and everybody knows that the original ending was completely different but thank God Jordan Peele changed it because I just like everybody else just like every other black person that saw that movie was like you know when you saw those cop lights you were like man I really don't want to see this anymore because every time I turn on the news I'm seeing this. I really, and I don't want to see another black man go to jail. Like, I, I just can't, I don't want to turn on the, I just, I don't want to see this right now. But when it was his homeboy from the T, we knew it was Rod and Rod saved him. Like, there was such, 
it was like a wave erupted in theater when it was Rod and like you knew Chris was going to be okay. Like it was a collective, not just black people, white people were like, oh, like you actually saw white people. It really changed the dynamic. It it caused a discussion. It caused white people to think. So Jordan Peele said he made that movie for black people, but he, he also made that movie for white, for certain white people, well, really for all white people, but certain white people to really take a step back and go, oh, like, yeah, you know, and he's just killing it. Um, well, when I even he saw did us, the, the Candyman reboot, like we the, talked um, about. The cop car pull up, I literally like went, oh. Oh, everybody did. The whole theater, black, like, white, no. whatever, the whole theater was like, man, I'm And then when he came out, it. I literally cheered. I was yeah. like, yay! Oh, I was so happy. I was so happy. I was like, let that bitch fucking rot on the floor, floor, on the floor, on the ground. Let her just choke on her own fucking blood. Let fucking choke dumbass on bitch. fucking Fruit Loops. Bitch, dipping Fruit Loops in milk. You suck. You're so racist. You're wet. You're, you're so, so white. white. You're so white and that racist. That is a white thing. That you don't want your <clears throat> colored cereal touching your white milk. That's how fucking racist this bitch. That's also really fucking weird. Stop. It was so weird. It was some serial killer shit. Um, but again, within the last year, we're seeing, you know, more and more and more and more and more. We're seeing more independent black films, Jordan Peele. And can we also talk about this Saw franchise, where it's going? If y'all have not seen the the trailer for Spiral, I am so fucking excited. Chris I'm excited Rock is too, in it, dude. executive producing. <laughs> Samuel Jackson is in it. This movie is going to be really incredible. It's a franchise that I love, but it's also going to be a take that that I, I just, I'm excited. I'm so excited. I also I am, loved how the trailer integrated the Saw theme, mm -hmm. but it wasn't completely the nope. Saw theme. And I loved that. It really harkened back to the original movie where it was more psychological. And then I saw Samuel Jackson and I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> if you guys remember us doing our earlier episode this year about new movies in 2020... But yeah, in 2020, if you guys heard our episode of horror in 2020, we talked about this new Saw movie and we were kind of iffy, but we knew Chris Rock was involved. So we were like, okay. And then the trailer hit and Samuel Jackson and I was like, I'm on board. I cannot wait for this. I'm so fucking excited about this. This is going to be so good. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, guys, um, horror noir is amazing. Get Shudder, watch it. It's such a great history lesson for black history and black horror. Um, we're seeing so much more representation of black people in horror. I'm, I'm so excited. And I mean, I mean, in everything from like <clears throat> Sabrina, you know, you're seeing it in Sabrina, you're seeing it in movies, you're seeing it in, in characters. Cause I love that, that even though I am so sorry, <clears throat> even though the girl that plays Sabrina's best friend is black, she's not the stereotypical. No black best friend she actually is a lead character who has her own story who has her own stuff going on she's not sassy she's normal and i love that not to mention that her other best friend is a transgender right. who in real life is non-binary right. and i'm like this is amazing well and then just even the witches <clears throat> like the coven where you know ambrose and that other chick like those characters are just because Ambrose's character wasn't even originally like these characters that weren't even originally cast as black, but it changes the representation that they are oh. because they are cast as black. 
I know I haven't finished the series. I almost yet. just like ruined something massive. You mean the for voodoo you. chick? Because I got that far. <clears throat> is is black? I know she is. Yeah, but what's his name's kids? I know about the kids too. Do you? Not how much kids. do you know about the voodoo girl? Not enough. Yeah, I, I can't, like I can't ruin that for you. Okay, so let's not. I can't that ruin that for you. But let me tell you something. All of y'all are like, oh my god, because at the end of the very last episode, something happens that was so groundbreaking that I did not see coming. That I literally went. I had my phone in my hand and went, ah! and I threw my phone. And my cousin was like, I was like, did you see that coming? Because I didn't see that coming. I'm like, <laughs> I, I, what? What? And I was I like, promise I will finish. It, I was guys. like, if we couldn't have gotten, and I talked to Danielle about this too. I was like, if we couldn't have gotten any more representation in this motherfucking show, they did it again. And I'm like, I can't, I can't even wrap my brain around what's happening. But I'm like, the people who made Sabrina, I just, I bow to you. You guys are just diversification in this show is so good. On top, you got black, gay, trans, white, Asian amazingness all over the place. And I just, I love it. Also, Prudence is hot, but whatever. Can we talk about Hopper? Okay. Anyway. I was like, oh my God, she's so awesome. Prudence. Um, Yeah, but it's, it's getting, it's getting better. We're getting more, it's, it's better than it ever was now. I mean, but. Of course, we stumble. There's still a few stumbles. Um, there's two we're going to mention before we wrap up. Um, so going back into the sacrificial Negro stereotype. Uh, oh, yes. We have to talk about yeah, this movie. These are, so there's two movies we're going to talk about that are just like, <clears throat> that are more recent. Oh, yeah, that, that one too. I thought were all, that I thought were so rare. I keep oh. I keep putting that um, the the older one back in the back of my mind because it's just so terrible that I don't I don't even remember it. So the first Annabelle, I think it was twenty fourteen. Was it twenty fourteen when that came out, or was it later than that? I don't know why I think it was like twenty fourteen. Well, anyway, the first Annabelle, I think it might have been twenty. Okay, hold on. Where are we at? We're at Conjuring three. Yeah, Conjuring two came out two years ago, which was eighteen or seventeen. And then the first one came out. So I think we're pushing 15, 16. 16. For okay, Annabelle. probably 2016. <clears throat> we'll say 2016. Um, not only was the movie not very good, because I had been waiting for a standalone Annabelle movie forever, because I had known about that story for years. This movie was not that story. And I don't know what it was, but the movie itself wasn't even any good. But can we also say that Alfre Woodard's character, like, oh my God. So if you guys have seen the first Annabelle, like that was a sacrificial Negro trope. Like, how many no how many black... white people were in that film? All of them. How, how many, many black people were in that film? One. And how many people died in that film? One. And they literally <laughs> wrote her character to sacrifice herself for this white family. I mean, it's literally was really also like this woman that. was like, such a bitch. The like, white woman. It was just <laughs> like what? Like I just. I didn't like that movie altogether. I had so many problems with that movie on so many levels, but on the level of having that, why did we, we did not need that character. Like we didn't need you. Even if it could have been an older white lady, it genuinely could have, it would not have changed shit. Nothing. 
but you made this. And again, like I'm, I'm telling people this because I think a lot of white people saw that movie and didn't understand how racist that came off because the first time I saw it, I was like, what in the Harriet Tubman? Like I was so fucking mad when I saw that movie. I was like, what is happening? I was like, why in 2016 are we seeing this fucking movie? Like, why did we need this? We did not, I'm, I'm tired of this. We did not need this. We didn't need the one black character sacrificing herself for the white, you know, saviors in this fucking movie. Like we didn't need this. And then, so more recently we got the movie, The Perfection. On Wait, can I, can I talk about how this happened? Please. <clears throat> so. I hate this movie. I had heard about <laughs> this movie on Twitter. You know, people talking about it because it, it was on Netflix. And again, same chick from, from Get, Get Out, Out, which um, she just needs she to stop needs making to... movies with. Stop making movies with black people, Allison. Listen up, Allison. <laughs> Alican. <laughs> Anakin. So, um, hello there. So, I'm sorry, I just keep going. So, I'm sitting down, it's a Sunday morning. Usually on Sunday mornings, I like to watch a horror film I haven't seen, or I go back to Revenge because I'm watching, rewatching Revenge or Bates Motel that I've seen five times all the way through. Anyway, so I decide to watch The Perfection, and I know nothing about this movie at all. Like, I'm, I'm going into it, and I'm like... I know nothing about this film. And Becky is like, oh, I have no desire to see that film. And I was like, why? And she didn't really tell me why. <clears throat> she kind of let me figure it out on my own because she had read the synopsis of it and already knew what was going to happen. I didn't have a clue what was going to happen. And she's like, I just, just, just watch it and you'll see. Well, I'm getting into this movie and I'm like, oh my God, this is nice. We're getting a lesbian interracial couple. This is great. And I was like all for it. I wasn't understanding so or Becky's take on it, but I was like, she has to have a reason. So I'll keep watching it. Well, it gets into the fact that they think that some kind of crazy ass disease is going around that they got from <clears throat> being overseas. And um, come to f long story short, you find out that she was actually hallucinating because she was on pills that the fucking Allison put in her alcohol that when alcohol actually amps up the side effects. And she also was hallucinating all of these bugs on her hand and ends up chopping off her own hand. Mind you, she is a violin. Uh, uh, is it violin? Or celloist? Celloist. Celloist, yeah. She, ends up being, she is a celloist. So obviously she cuts off her hand. She has no career. So, long story short, yeah. At this black point, celloists are just, and at this point, I'm everywhere. I'm pissed because I'm like the fuck. And then you find out that she did it because the actual guy over the college is a race racist. What is a rapist? <laughs> Change one letter. Is a rapist, and he actually has been. She did it to help her understand what was happening. Here's the problem. She didn't have to do it in that way because you ruined her entire career by having her chop her own hand off. Mm -hmm. And it's not in, in at the end of the movie, she comes to the realization that she saved her life because 
she's like, oh, you did help me realize this. And oh, <clears throat> you know, this and that. And she helps this girl. The black girl helps the white girl basically um, get rid and kill the rapist dude. But she's helping her do it by her becoming, and again, the white girl's the savior now because she helped her realize this. But she, I'm like, you ruined her fucking career. She didn't die for you because she doesn't die. But her entire life is ruined because you made her chop off her hand. And then she goes and turns around and is like, at first she's pissed. And then she realizes everything and goes, oh, you're totally right. I'm going to help you do this because you helped me realize this. Even though you cut off, made me cut off my fucking hand. And now I have no career. It's really kind of because the whole she the, has like no life. At the this whole point. thing Becky said was she was like, I wish the characters were switched. And when she said that, at first I was like, I was going through a whole roller coaster of emotions because when she said that, I hadn't seen all of it yet. And I was like, it doesn't make any sense for them to be switched. And I was like, oh yeah, it does. And then I was like, no, it doesn't. And then I was like, oh wait, yeah, it does. <laughs> if you would have switched the white girl and the black girl in this movie, you would have had a, you would have made such a statement. Mm-hmm. You had an opportunity, especially this white girl, you had an opportunity. Allison. (laughs) She's probably dating a black dude. We don't even know. We don't don't even know. (laughs) Um, You had an opportunity to do something beautiful and make a real statement with a film. Because the, the, the actual concept of this film is phenomenal. Yeah. But I'm like, yeah, had a great concept. Great I, concept. I'm but all I'm like, for it. the entire movie was a sacrifici- sacrificial, was a sacrificial Negro again. Yeah, well, it really was. It was that. That was the, en- it was the entire thing. If you would have switched them, it would have just been another horror movie and it would have made such a statement. But I'm sure someone out there would have been like, this movie's racist. I'm all for movies about cults. Like, I love movies about cults but they don't like let you know it's a cult immediately. Yeah. Like crazy shit starts happening. And then you find out it's like, Oh my God, it's a fucked up ass cult. Like the movie had all the makings to be great. But again, like I said, if you would have switched the characters, it would have played out so differently because for you to be, it's not that you ruined her career. You ruined this girl's life because how many, cause there's just, you know, because black celloists are just everywhere. Because that's a thing. You know what I mean? Cause and that's she had not worked her whole life for that, too. Yeah. Her whole life. Because she didn't have the same opportunities right. as this white girl did. Like, because you don't. Like, let's just face it. And you've, ta- you know, you you made it like, oh, I saved her from this. No, you didn't. No. She really fucked up your life. She could have literally She was done... a better... And then also the point of her being a better... She was a better celloist than her, too. Yep. So you just... You <laughs> Your took eye's away, switching. Like, her just, eye was switching, guys. <laughs> so much about that movie. Like, that's why I, I... I... Once I found out what it was about and the way it played out, I said, I don't need to see this. I don't need to see this. We've all seen that movie. Because we've all seen it already. And it just did not. And that's what makes me so sad, too. Because in all reality, the concept of that movie was brilliant. Yeah. It was such a great concept. It had the makings to be a really great movie. You could have had two black people. You could have had two white people. You could have switched the 
the white and the black girl but the problem is is that you, you the way because you did it the way you did it it's just another sacrificial negro story and it's not fair and it's not right and it needs to fucking stop so we were making the point of saying um that okay so i'm looking at who wrote the screenplay for the perfectionist yeah or the perfect whatever <laughs> um, all white of course. Uh, so one of the lead writers, lead producers, and the director was a man named Richard Shepard, who is a white man. And uh, you could tell. And that, so to kind of wrap up everything with this podcast, and like you and I were talking about earlier, um, you know, every time award season comes around, whether it's the Golden Globes or the Oscars, especially within the last couple of years, there's been this big argument about female representation, black, rep- black representation. Um, and really what starts at what, what is really going to change that is not so much actors or directors. You need the whole cast. You need all the way down because a lot of these movies, you have to look at who's writing these movies. Who are writing the screenplays to these movies? If you're having black people in this screenplay and it's written by a white screenwriter, you're whether they have the best intentions or not, you are not going to get accurate representation of other races or people of color specifically if it's a white screenwriter whether they write they can bless you they can write Thank the you. best movie in the world the best horror movie in the world but it's you're like that is coming um but yeah it's like so it needs to be all the way it needs to be all the way through so if you're going to make a black horror film we need a black screenwriter a black editor, a black director, like you, it has to start from the bottom and then work its way up. Like it has to, it's if you're going to, re- you have to, because how else are you going to get any kind of movie with any type of genre? If it's an LGBTQ movie, if it's going to represent queers, gays, whatever, trans, you, you have to have writers and directors that are representative of that as well. And they are out there. Hey, they just Ellen, are waiting make for a movie. Someone, they're just waiting for someone to give them a shot. Like, that's it. That's So there are, that was one thing that Horror Noir really pointed out at the end, that there are a lot of up-and-coming Black screenwriters, Black directors, Black producers that are ready to work with all Black casts all the way around to better representation in specifically in horror films or the fact that I love the one guy said that he even knows like through the grapevine there are people that are purposefully rewriting scripts and changing characters to black people for this reason and I'm like good it's about damn fucking time like start showing it like there's a big demographic in this country like black people love horror films they do but they want to see positive representation. Like we're tired of the sacrificial Negro. We're tired of the best friend. We're tired of the sidekick. We're tired of the, just any one of those tropes. You like, okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? <laughs> like, 
Like, we're done. We don't want to see that anymore. Like, we don't need to see that anymore. And it's starting to get better. So I think to also celebrate Women in Horror Month, we should give shout outs to our favorite black women in horror. And I'm sure we probably have the same because there's one that sticks out in my mind real Well, we went over, like I said, if you guys please listen to, it's one of our earliest podcasts we did, but it was such a great episode. Our Women in Horror one from last February. We kind of just out-gay ourselves. Um, (laughs) But uh, I know for me, like, because she's still doing, you know, with, with her being such a big part of the American Horror Stories series, like Angela Bassett is still killing it in the horror genre. Can we just talk about how she looks like she hasn't aged at all in the last 50 years? Whatsoever. Well, she's probably like, what? How old is she? 60s. Okay. Well, maybe in the last. She still looks incredible. Um, yeah, she's, I, I love that. She's still a big part of the genre. Like having her come into American horror story was just, that was amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. I love her in that. Okay. Lupita. Yeah. Lupita Nyong'o. Yep. And actually, to be honest with you, uh, Octavia Spencer, especially in Ma, even though that was a very predictable movie, she still killed that role. She did a great job. You have a lead black woman in a horror film. Who's not necessarily stereotyped. She's not very sassy. No. She's just fucked up. Yeah, because white people. (laughs) <laughs> um that's your girl you're talking about like, what's her name J- um lewis juliet lewis is that her name i know it's all her fault damn it damn it well still love her but yeah no um, Peter nyango i, oh, I kind yeah. of i'm kind of like low-key obsessed with her yeah she's amazing everything she does i'm like first of all your skin is flawless second of all you are flawless Third of all, you're acting as flawless. <laughs> like, literally. Everything. You're just flawless. <laughs> I don't know why I'm whispering that. I love her. Yeah. I love her. She, yeah. So, you're seeing more of it. Yeah. And I'm happy. And we're I'm getting very happy to be more seeing and this. more and more and more and more of it. So, please go watch it. Yep. Get Shudder. Watch Horror Noir. I'm so glad we got to talk about this, though. Me too. It needed, it needed to be talked about. Me too. Because I hadn't watched that. I hadn't watched that documentary since last year. And I like had I said, neither. I, everybody needs to watch it. Like, it's... And don't just watch it for Black History Month. Like, watch it also, all the time. Also, I would like to give a giant shout out to my best friend, Carl. Because he told me something today about Black Horror that literally just melted my heart. He said he has an entire movie section that is just specifically black horror. Thank you, Carl. That's so amazing to me. I was like, that's so... I'm like, I'm not even black, and that gets me. (laughs) That is fucking... Carl also said Midsummer was his favorite movie from last year. So Carl's woke. Carl is very woke in the feminism and in the black, and Carl's just woke. (laughs) So, we need to see more movies like that with black people. Midsummer with black people. <laughs> Amazing. That would be pretty awesome. I mean, and granted, of course, there were not going to be any black people in Midsummer because that was in. Do what? There weren't any black people in Midsummer, but we know. Wait, wait, the well, one, it was there, in there, Sweden. There, 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 what? Yeah, because there's black. 
very white. <laughs> like, my white. Like, yeah, your skin is going to blind me white. <laughs> Wait, there was black people. Oh, yeah, because that black dude was an asshole. He was an asshole. Well, there was a white asshole, too. <laughs> Actually, there were two white assholes. We ain't even going to talk about that guy. Because he deserved it. They Let's both, just say, like, I they said, both did <laughs> at the ending. I was like, look, everybody got <laughs> theirs at the end of that movie, and that's all I got to say. And that movie made men uncomfortable, and I loved it. <laughs> oh, you're uncomfortable. Oh, oh. <laughs> they used you for sex. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> now you're tied up in a bear suit and you're burning. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> fucking dick. That's at the end of that movie. Every guy that was in the movie theater at the end of that movie that was like. There was a guy sitting. You remember the guy sitting the next fuck to is me? this? He was so uncomfortable. And I'm like, I'm genuinely happy. And sir. we're both like, this movie's amazing. This is everything. Like she smiles and we're like. <laughs> and every guy in the theater's like, no. And we're I'm trying like, to get. Yes. I'm trying to get a, my hands on a copy of the director's cut because it's almost four. It's either all over four hours or oh, it's almost Jesus. four hours. I'm like, bitch, you better believe I'm watching all four fucking hours. <laughs> oh lord, that's a lot of. I'm, I'm yeah. I'm, I could. You know what though? As much as I loved that movie, I could definitely sit through a four hour cut of that movie. It's yeah. It could happen. It's amazing. That movie was, that movie was everything. How right, long? Guys. Oh my god, two hours. Damn Woo. it. Um, no. <laughs> That's pretty we awesome. Did, we did sort of go into a whole ten minute rant in the beginning about American Pie, and you know it happens. But you guys love us, so I don't know. Maybe we're hated now. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. We might be after this one, but you know, a I said what I said. A, we we're not like racist. It. No. B, we're trying to bring awareness to real social issues. And C, just like I said, I'm making fun of the way white people name their children. There are certain things in your race that is actually very stereotypical and that's actually very funny. Learn to make fun of it. Learn to laugh along with it. Treat everybody the same. Everybody's people. As long as they're not assholes. I mean, you're going to have assholes in every race. But be a person. And treat other people the way you want to be treated. Golden rule still applies. Also, learn to have open discussions with people. Actually, I think that, unfortunately, with the advent of social media, people don't know how to talk to people anymore. <laughs> people don't right. know how to sit and have conversations with people anymore. It's very true. Um, And especially now, like I said, the fact that, oh, you, you're a Trump supporter. I can never talk to you again. Like, that's gotten weird and... You know, I said some shit about Trump where people are like, nah, you know, whatever. But I'm not, it's not political. I don't give a fuck about all that. Like I said, it's, it, it was brought up more so to discuss the state of what was happening to our country, what's kind of still happening to our country, and that um, we just need to do better. We all need to do better. We all need to have open discussions and we all need to respect each other. And, Being ignorant um, is not necessarily. I. It's it's very perceived so in a different. very negative it's way. Ignorance and it's and, okay to be ignorant. Just open your mind, talk to somebody, and just say, "Hey, I don't really understand this. Can you help me understand?" Yeah. Open dialogue, yeah. actual discussions, not just so quick to type in a hundred characters and that's it. Like, yeah, it's just yeah. So 
where there's been positive with social media, the downfall of it is the lack of conversations with people and everyone just wanting to ride everybody off immediately and not wanting to sit down and have a discussion because ignorance and racism are different where in like Casper said, if you're ignorant and willing to talk, that's where it starts. So ignorance is held. Like I said, it's very held in a negative light, but it's not, it's not a terrible thing to be ignorant. It's just, I was raised ignorant on black issues. Very, very ignorant. And then I meet somebody who helps me understand and helps me because she knows my heart. And right. She knows I'm, it's all about love and it's all about understanding. And that's all I want to do is understand and be an advocate. And just have to be leg. willing to have those discussions. My knee. And leg <laughs> me. Anyway, um, thanks, guys. We hope you enjoyed it. We know that was long. Sometimes these are long ones, but this one We haven't had a long one in a while, and actually. Yeah, this one was good, though. This one needed to happen, and um, we know we touch on a lot, but uh, yeah, watch some of these films we mentioned if you haven't seen them, and please watch Horror Noir. Get Shudder. Um, also, shout out to Rachel True for being a fucking amazing human being. Yes, you're incredible. Love you. <laughs> All right, guys. So next week, do you want to say what next week is? Because I, f- you're like I totally forgot. Um, <laughs> so the next week's episode is about the Texarkana uh, murders. If any of you are familiar with the movie that came out in 1974, the town that dreaded sundown, um, the movie is directly uh, derived from the real life unsolved murders. Uh, that happened in the little town of Texarkana, which is right on the Texas-Arkansas border. And um, yeah, basically just a masked guy, similar to the Zodiac Killer, went around and killed quite a number of people in this town. It's still unsolved to this day. They made a movie about it in the town that they still show in the town around the anniversary of the murders, which is that's what you do. so weird. Um, and then in 2016, I believe, believe it was... No, 2014. So it was actually... 30 years after the original movie, um, they made a remake. Um, but yeah, we're going to go into the movie a little bit, but kind of discuss the murders more because, um, I just felt that like this story was so close to the Zodiac killer and I loved our Zodiac killer episode. So hopefully you guys like this one too. I'm excited. True crime slash movie. Yep. A little bit of both. A little bit of both, yeah. Definitely watch the movie, too, if you guys haven't seen it. Been trying to get a hold of a copy of the original one. It's been kind of hard, but um, the remake's pretty good, too. Oh, yeah. It's pretty good. It's not terrible, by any means. All right, guys, so a word from our sponsor. Calm your buddy down. Oh, wow. (laughs) You're like, (laughs) Um, Casper has been so graciously... Uh, advertising more on Twitter for me, and I really appreciate that. Um, Treat yourself Tuesdays and what was Friday? I don't remember. Go on. Damn I'll find it. it! I'm like I don't remember. Oh no! It's saved in my other phone. <laughs> well, darn. Feel yourself Fridays or no, something. I don't know. We'll figure I'll it figure out. it out. We'll figure it out. Anyway, guys. <laughs> so, um. Everything is still up for sale on the Etsy shop. Um, We've got, uh, if you guys haven't seen recently, um, there's the different color bath bombs are in. Uh, They've always been around, just some changes this year. But yeah, we've got spring coming up, Easter coming up. Um, Those are probably going to start getting really popular more. 
But um, the rose petal ones are still available. The chocolate ones are still available. The oatmeal ones are still available. All of those are great with how cold the weather's been lately. Um, but again, on Etsy, just search Calm Your Body Down. Um, I will, like I said, with just all the craziness that's been going on, it'll probably be more into next month that I'll be focusing updating the website more. But just keep checking the social media. I keep trying to post as much updates as I can to kind of keep everybody informed on what's going on. Um, and again, just keep checking in with Casper's Twitter and everything. And um, thank you again to all the new followers. Um, I have been building a little bit more on Instagram, so that's been really helpful. Word of mouth has been really helpful. Um, so yeah, and we're hoping to get some new sponsors soon along with Calm Your Body Down. So thanks again, guys, for all the support and we'll keep you posted. I'm so pissed off that I can't think of what the Friday was. I can't either. Anyway, calm your body <laughs> down. <laughs> I love how you were just like, anyway. <laughs> So, guys, if you want to give us a follow on social media, please hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Don't Fuck With The Original. Make sure you add the apostrophe or you won't find us. If you want to follow us and make sure you know when we put out new video episodes, <laughs> new audios, then you can hit us up on Podbean, Podcast Player, CastBox, Spotify, and Podcast Addicts. Make sure to give us a follow, subscribe. We are getting close to 1,600 subscribers on... Podbean, and that's insane. Fuck yeah, and honestly, I think, I think we should do something when we hit two. Dog barking was hilarious. It was. <laughs> that was the best. I was like, pause. We we <laughs> may or may not do a giveaway when two thousand hits. We, so hold yes, on to that. Probably not. No, just kidding. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Uh, no, but seriously, guys, it's awesome. Thank you to all of our new listeners. Thank you for the ones who've been following. And we will definitely see you guys next week. Have an awesome week. And we love you. Bye. <laughs> that was annoying as fuck. <laughs>